Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad there's a fly in here and he wants to get out because it stinks. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you um, very way recorded, but more on that in the uh, in the rant section. Yeah, yeah, more on that. Uh, in this week's show, in Pipe Parts, a review of the new and upcoming, uh, soon to be out, Sutliff Kringle Cake. Uh, what do they call it? <laughs> Um, what do they call this here? Yeah, um, Kringle Flake. There we go. Kringle Flake Holiday Edition 2020. I got a sneak preview of it because I'm me and I'm special. <laughs> well, at least in my own mind. Uh, and then my guest is a return visit with pipe maker Alexander Hasty, who uh, two years, it was on about two years ago. And uh, so we get to catch up with him and see what's changed since then. Uh, music mailbag and again a rant all about me coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, reminder, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to the show. And if you haven't had a chance, please go over to iTunes and leave us our Apple podcast and leave us a rating or a review. We are also on uh, Amazon podcast. We are on uh, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. I don't know where else we are. But go there, leave us a rating or review. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, comments or suggestions or requests for holiday music, please email those to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, because I think we'll, uh, we'll start those next week. Yeah, next week we'll start those. Uh, but let me, know what you, let me know what you have. All right? All right, let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, Pipe Parts is a review of the new Sutliff Tobacco Kringle Flake Holiday Edition 2020. Now, let's go back. Last year, they did a Holiday Edition 2019, uh, and it was a uh, straight Virginia... Uh, and here's the, the description of it was uh, Sutliff's Kringle Flake is a limited edition release for the 2019 holiday season and consists solely of red Virginia tobaccos pressed into flakes. It delivers flavors of bread and tangy fruit with an underlying sweetness that made for a pleasant all day smoke. Um, I got some of it last year. I got it uh, way after it had come out and had sold out from what I understand. Um, and then this year, well, they were nice enough to send me an advance of it. And here's the description that is on the back of it. A decade old red Virginias are stove to perfection, bringing the natural flavors to the forefront. Then they are combined with 2003 vintage Perique pressed and sliced into broken flakes. 
All right, so the minute I heard a 2003 vintage Perique, of course, guess who started salivating? Well, that would be me. Um, now, let, let's go back a little bit, because remember, I have, uh, in the past, I've reviewed some of the uh, crumble cakes that uh, Sutliff has done, and I talked about the small bits in it. Um, well, this one, two things came to came immediately to my eye when I opened up the tin. Uh, actually, three things. One, the tin was vacuum sealed so tight you'd think it was Fort Knox, but I finally got into it, and it was tight. Um, the two things that come to mind is, one, it is dark. I mean, it is predominantly dark with a little bit of light, and the smell was... I am, you know, I'm a Perique fiend. It had me salivating at the word go. Um, but what I did notice, and, and this is something that I do with every tobacco that I get, not only do I look at it and feel it and smell it, but then I start to pull it apart and I want to see what the components are. Now, this is one of Sutliff's crumble cake flakes, so it's not as... Um, uh, it's not as easy to work with as like an Orlick Golden Slice Flake, which, you know, rubs out fairly easily, or a uh, McBaron HH Old Dark Fired Flake, which I'm really familiar with, and it rubs out real easy. Uh, but what I did notice in this was there are some long pieces of what I am assuming is the Perique. Uh, the way I can tell the Perique apart from the stove Cavendish is the Perique has kind of a purpley sheen to it. Uh, sometimes it, yeah, it, it's just got this purplish between brown and on the way to black purplish shininess to it. Uh, the stoved was what I saw as smaller pieces. So when I started working with this blend... I was careful because uh, with the with with their other crumble cakes, when I pack them, I stick a pipe cleaner down the stem of the pipe and then pack the pipe because you don't want all those little pieces coming up. Uh, but when you rub this out, there are some really big pieces of Perique. And I will advise you that as you are rubbing this out and making and getting your bowl ready to be smoked, that you make sure that you try to disperse the Perique uh, as evenly as possible, because I think I've talked about this probably years ago, but when you're making a blend like this, you're essentially making like a bowl of soup or a pasta, and you want to get all the components equally distributed around. Well, with this, the size of these perique strips or perique pieces makes it a little hard to get it all distributed around and you can get some dramatic swings through the bowl if you don't have perique all the way through it or if you have a whole bunch of perique in one spot uh, you can also run the risk of kind of plugging it up so with all that very technical stuff being said um, I enjoyed it the uh, the perique is not as prominent and in the smoke as I thought it would be based off of the smell and the look. Uh, the aroma off the pipe is not as pungent as I thought it would be. And this goes back to the fact that if this Perique has been sitting around from being processed in 2003, well, it's probably aged fairly well. Um, I did get, uh, and I, I'm trying to learn how to be a super taster, um, but at one point I was feeling a little bit of a cinnamon background to it 
Um, it was all it's all low notes. It's all richness. It's not overly strong in richness, but I was getting a little bit of cinnamon, and I was wondering if maybe that was, you know, maybe is that the uh, the uh, psychosomatic suggestion of it being a holiday blend? Well, I don't know. Um, anyway, in uh, in tobaccoreviews.com, there is two other people that got uh, copies of it before. Uh, one is Jim Inks, and the other one is Dave. And I'll read Dave's because uh, we all know uh, uh, we, we all know Jim Inks. But uh, Dave called it a medium blend, straight up the middle. And he wrote, "I am nowhere as eloquent, eloquent, and capable of expressing a blend as Jim Inks. I've been smoking seven years. Jim Lord only knows." <laughs> Uh, I do know what I like and I don't like and I and don't like though this one is a winner and if you like deep complex vapors uh, you really should give this one a try for sure. I sometimes can't tell which gives a particular taste the Virginia or the Perique but I'm getting all kinds of flavors but balance pretty much through the whole bowl. Dark fruit, some tangy, some sweet, little acidic, spicy, citrus, smoky hints, I assume, I assume from the Virginias. A different spice, sweeter, raisiny, and figgy from the 17-year-old Perique, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I just want to note the raisiny in there for uh, Bow York. Um, the thing is, they are all there and more floating around in your mouth and nose like a fine wine and yummy dessert. Uh, I don't think it will bite, but I got so engrossed I may have gotten close in my exuberance. Anyway, he goes on to, uh, and, he, and he says down here, it says, uh, should be available soon. To the best of my knowledge, this will be available on the 20th of this month. And... Uh, limited to 7,000 tins. So if this is something up your alley, jump on it. Uh, I don't think it's going to benefit much from much aging. I really don't. I think if you age it much longer, I think it will get, uh, maybe the flavors will meld a little bit more, but it's not going to get any, uh, it's not going to get any richer for sure. I really like the label and, and I'm a, I'm a label guy, but I really like the label with the uh, holiday tag and the to and from on it. Uh, again, one and a half ounce tins, the 2020 edition of Kringle Flake from Sutliff Tobacco. Uh, if you get it and smoke it, let me know what you think of it. All right. And in just a moment, my conversation with Alexander Hasty. This is Internet Radio. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us again. And this this is going to be fun because joining us is Alexander Hasty, maker of Alexander Pipes. Is that the, the name you're officially going under now? Yep. Been going by it for a while now, so no changing now. So, Alex, welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thanks for having me. 
All right, so it was two years ago, just a little bit over two years ago, and you were at that point maybe a, a year or two into pipe making full-time? Yep, that was uh, 2018, so I was during my first round of shows. My first show ever was the 2018 Chicago show, and uh, I think we did the podcast just after the Kansas City show in September or so. Yeah, all right. So this is going to be fun because I really want to get into – get into your head and think of what has changed for you in a pipe maker in the past two years. What have you learned? What are you doing differently? Um, what would you like to go back and tell yourself three years ago to do differently from the start? So uh, let, let, let's start with that. First of all, you are still a full-time pipe maker. This is your only source of income. Uh, this is how you're making your living, right? That is correct. And last time we talked, you were aiming for about 100 pipes a year. How are we doing on those numbers? Uh, we're getting close. Uh, I think right now is, is closer to 75 to 100. Uh, and this year has been a little bit strange. Uh, with COVID happening and Chicago not happening, um, I took the opportunity. I actually moved my shop uh, to a different location, and so... I had to spend a, a solid month or, or more. I'm still kind of working on it, uh, building a, up a new shop and uh, kind of adding to my tool supply and really creating a more efficient shop than I had before. And uh, so, like I said, I went I went a solid month or so without really making too many pipes. Like I was kind of just making them here and there while I was building the shop. So, All right, so let's talk about that because uh... – a couple of years ago, you were used, were you still in your grandfather's workshop? Yep, I was, and uh, it actually just so happened that during this whole uh, pandemic and uh, with with Chicago not going on, um, and and no shows happening for that matter, um, my grandma has actually uh, decided to move and sell her house, which is where my shop was connected to, and uh, so it was time to move anyways, and uh, and I had always been kind of I already knew where I was going to move when this day came and it just happened a little bit quicker than I anticipated, but it turned out to be perfect uh, because I had the time uh, to move when there wasn't shows going on. And uh, so where I am now is actually only about a hundred yards from uh, my old, my old shop, <laughs> uh, which, so now I'm in the building where my family owns a, uh, started a, an awards company mm -hmm. like youth sports, medals, ribbons, uh, swimming, baseball, basketball, all those kinds of sports. And uh, in 2010, they moved locations. So currently I'm in their old location. I'm in the old warehouse building where they just keep uh, old supplies, just some inventory. And uh, I just kind of blocked off <clears throat> a section for myself uh, to build a shop. And uh, so it's actually been great uh, besides the cleanup, replacing a lot of drywall and, uh, you know, putting up walls and building a shop. Uh, it's a great location for me because I have a lot more space. Um, I have a much larger shop now and I have an actual room dedicated to photos and, and uh, inventory and all that kind of thing. So I'm much more comfortable now where I'm at. So there's another part. So all this had to come out of your income from making pipes, unless you had a, a fairy godmother come by and just give you a pot of gold and say, wiggle, wiggle here. Yep. Nope. Unfortunately, no fairy godmother in this scenario. Um, but for me, I, it's just an investment of time and, uh, and money. And, and I think moving forward, 
um, all that money will come back in terms of efficiency. And uh, with my new tool set up, I think I'm going to be making uh, better pipes than I ever had before. So it was a it was definitely worth it in the end. So are you, are you willing to tell us what kind of what kind of tools and and machinery you <clears throat> invested in and 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 how shiny and brand new it is? Well, it's really not a ton of new stuff. Uh, it was mostly that, like my old shop, my uh, workbench was just really small, and so it tended to get really crowded uh, when I'm working on several things at once. And in uh, it, like you would just lose lose track of things. And uh, I'm kind of notorious for that as it is. And so in a crowded shop, I was just it just wasn't efficient for me. And so in the new shop. And also in, in the old one, um, the way my buffing motors were set up, it wasn't like I could go from here to there really easily. It was just kind of this long back and forth prog process of changing wheels uh, on a single motor. And uh, it just wasn't uh, time efficient. So I added a couple motors. And uh, so now they're all in one long line. And so I can kind of uh, just go order of operations much quicker, just kind of move down the line. Now, you mentioned a couple of motors, and those are... The, those are running different wheels that do different functions. So you so you've got those wheels set up all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, well, so I right now I have three motors. Uh, one of them is a little bit more powerful. It's not a variable speed. I use that for uh, harder buffing and uh, and like my thirty six grit sanding wheels, like some stronger stuff. But then the other two are variable speed <clears throat> motors. And so I use those two for finer sanding as well as buffing. I can just change out the wheels and uh, I'm actually considering adding a, a fourth motor um, just to continue to increase uh, efficiency. But yeah, no, those variable motors, everything uh, goes back and forth from sanding to buffing purposes. And, and as a parent, and you're about the same age as my son, do you have all the, do you have the right amount of electricity in this room for all this stuff? Because otherwise you might have a little oopsie. Uh, yeah, yep. I had to have an electrician come in and, uh, and install some, some new outlets, especially for I have a, a dust collector now. I used to uh, only use a shop vac moving it around the room to, <laughs> as my dust collection, which well, that too was just wildly inefficient. And I... Uh, and really didn't take care of my dust problem too well. Uh, but now I have an actual dust collector, and um, that requires a special amount of voltage and whatnot. So I had an electrician come out here and install all kinds of new outlets and uh, make sure you know I'm not going to burn the place down. <laughs> Why is dust collection so important? Because I, I hear a lot of pipe makers talk about it. And is is it just for just to keep the stuff from flying around, or is there an actual pipe making reason for it? Um, for me, I mean, for me, the, I mean, it's many purposes. Uh, one of them is just obviously keep the shop clean and, uh, and just not have dust on every surface. And, you know, sometimes you'll have pipes that are still wet with stain or they're curing and oil or whatever, have shellac on them. And you don't want dust floating around the room, sticking to things. Uh, but also, I mean, you really need dust collection for it because you don't, ones who would be inhaling briar dust and uh, ebonite dust. And especially if you work with Bakelite, that stuff is, is pretty toxic when it's in its dust form. Uh, so for me, I mean, it's, there's many reasons why dust collection is important. I, I would imagine if you have some stains sitting on a really nice 
beautiful smooth pipe on the other side of the room and you're working on there and then this dust cloud comes and sits on it that's um that's kind of a bad afternoon yeah no it's it's not uh it's not something that'll make you too happy <laughs> let alone the uh, the ebonite dust which would be this nice little black stuff all over it yep yep and typically at the end of my old birthdays if i was having a long stem day i'd come home and blow my nose and there would be ebonite dust in there and so <laughs> the old the old setup was just probably not too healthy for me in the first place <laughs> so you so you got all moved in all this new setup is more and this is all more in line with how you prefer to work yeah and uh it took me a, a large part of the uh process of moving was that you, when you're starting fresh, you definitely don't want to have to do something twice. And so I spent quite a while uh, just drawing out the overall layout of the shop and and kind of talking to other makers and kind of just seeing how they had uh, their shop set up and looking at photos and whatnot to figure out was what was going to be in the end uh, what's perfect for me. And uh, thankfully, after I had everything done and built and before I'd even tested it out, um, you know, I, I made my first pipe and everything went really perfect and, and uh, I'm still tweaking a few things here and there. But as for the main structures, like the benches and the desks and, and where my lathe is set up and all that, everything has worked out really nice. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about pipes and uh, pipe making with uh, the pipe maker Alexander Hasty. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. back on the pipes magazine radio show visiting with alexander hasty of alexander pipes um you know if you used your last name it would have been a whole lot shorter on the pipe i'm just yeah. saying the stamp would have been a little bit better or, yeah you know hasty pipes I mean, the <laughs> definition of hasty is fast swift something like that i don't want people to think that i'm making pipes mass production so <laughs> it's a bit of a it's not a very hasty process all right, so let's talk about that because are are you making are, are you turning a bunch of bowls and then going and doing stems or are you doing one pipe all the way through the process? Yeah, that's been one of the areas that I've really been focusing on for at least for at least the last year is kind of how I should be preparing for things like shows and whatnot because at times it does seem like you should just shape 10 pipes, drill 10 pipes, make 10 stems, make 10 accent rings or whatever. And 
and, and kind of do it in mass production like that. Uh, but uh, I've kind of found recently what's been working for me is just working on about two to three at a time, probably more like two is kind of what I'm uh, landing on now. Uh, I just find it difficult to refocus your mind on if you leave a pipe for a few days and you come back, you're kind of like, okay, wait, I had a thought about this, but now I can't remember what I was, where I was going. And so for me, it's kind of a two to three and there's always drying time when it comes to stems or uh, not stems, but uh, uh, the stain and, and whatnot, things need to sit for some time. So you need something else to work on while those things, while the waiting is going on. Um, but I've definitely found it to be beneficial to me to not overwhelm myself with too many different projects at once. When you're in the middle of a project, when, you, when you're in the middle of working on one pipe, have you gotten an idea for another pipe and said, oh, shit, I got to stop this one and start that one before I forget what I did? Or what I thought. Oh, all the time. And I even, I, I, sometimes I'll get into like shaping fits. Like I have a ton of pipes that I've already shaped, but haven't drilled. Uh, just because I, for whatever reason, that random day I'll be working on something and maybe I, I'm just not feeling enthusiastic about that pipe that day. And so then I'll take a break and shape for a couple hours. And, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I from time to time, I definitely get sidetracked. <laughs> and uh especially I, I have this blowfish that i'm working on that i've probably changed the lines on it 20 times now that i've just been going back and forth on it i just can't seem to drop it i haven't even drilled it but i'm just playing with it so that's funny you mentioned blowfish because two years ago you said that was the shape that was that and the billiard were giving you the most fits because the, the billiard is perfect when you see it, but imperfect, you know, if you screw it up, it, it's obviously mm -hmm. imperfect, but yet the blowfish is, you've got to nail those lines dead on. Otherwise it looks really bizarre. Yep. And sometimes bizarre is a good thing, but, uh, at other times it can just look, you know, just, just kind of like artistic vomit. If you do too much <laughs> to, to, to the blowfish, it's easy to get crazy with it. Uh, and so, yeah, and it's always a challenge with each and every blowfish to try to make them kind of different in their own way and follow the grain structure is always challenging. And uh, depending on the finish, like a smooth blowfish is takes quite a bit of time to get all those lines exact perfect. And, and, so. and make sure those lines stay there when you're doing the final polish. And Yep, yep. I've... <laughs> It's uh, that's something that is very challenging with those hard edges and buffing on those hard edges to not either round them off or remove too much stain. Or it's a very uh, touchy process for a smooth blowfish. And with a blowfish, you're also kind of working with the stem to continue the shape out further. Mm -hmm. So you want to you want to make sure that you've got something on the shank that you can work with on the on the stem as it comes out, right? Right, yeah, with a blowfish, it's, uh, I mean, you can either do a flush-fitting stem or kind of just let that the tail of the blowfish or the shank uh, just kind of flip around and just do kind of an inserted stem, like a military mound, which is typically where I lean because uh, depending on the way the blowfish is set up, it, it kind of, it's difficult to make a good-looking blowfish that has like a saddle, of a, a flush-fitting uh, stem. I find that to be a little bit more challenging to make look. Uh, to to have it look good. Well, and if you do that push stem in there with the inset ring, doesn't that also give you a little bit more room to hit the draft hole correctly? 
Yeah, and to be honest, I've actually never made like a, a true military mount uh, pipe. I typically kind of do what I would call a faux military mount, whereas I put a brass ring, but the brass ring is simply for uh, decorative purposes. Uh, but I always like to just stick to Delrin tenons. And uh, for me, it just is a little bit of a, a, a smoother fit, I guess, more controllable fit. And military mounts aren't exactly, or at this point in time, are not my specialty. And so while I do need to, I'll eventually learn how to do it properly. But at this point, I'm not too confident in my military mount abilities. And you don't want to get started spinning out silver and doing all that stuff because that's a whole nother mess. Yep, it is. Yep, and I recently, this past year, started working with metals. I worked with uh, titanium and, and brass uh, recently, and so that was a solid couple weeks of uh, harsh learning experiences. <laughs> and during those couple of weeks, you're really not producing any pipes, which means you're really not making any kind of money either. Yeah, and, and like I said before, with the spending about a month or so on this new shop, in my eyes, it's worth it. Uh, in the long run to take the time to learn and uh, and you know it'll pay itself off later so are most of your are most of the pipes you're producing now are they still kind of in the classic shapes or are you working on finding your own style more or are you dealing with more of the artistic shapes uh, I'm making a lot of uh, kind of classic Danish shapes, like a Danish egg, just uh, things that flow nicely, a lot of freehand. Um, I haven't made too many blowfish or anything like that lately. Uh, I typically try to weave in a billiard probably once every five or six pipes. I really enjoy the billiard form and, and the different variations there. Um, but yeah, I, I would say definitely falling into the, like the classic kind of Danish American, uh, style. And, and I'm definitely still working on exactly what I would call my style. I don't really know if, if I could even define it, uh, which I, I guess could come in time, but who knows? I, I'm not sure anyone can self-reflect like that and know <laughs> their exact style. I kind of let other people tell me. <laughs> Is there a shape that you're getting more and more requests for or a style? Um, a little bit more requests, uh, recently I've, and kind of over the past year or so I've done a lot of, uh, multi-textured, uh, pipes, either the, the shank is all smooth, uh, with a sandblasted bowl or, uh, the bowl is smooth with a sandblasted shank. Uh, I mean, it's kind of an, it's an Everson style. Um, uh, so lots of people know about that kind of, uh, look, but I've definitely been getting a lot of requests, uh, for multi-textured pipes. And that adds a whole nother level of difficulty because then you got to mask off the smooth areas while you're doing the sandblasting and then you can't buff the sandblasting areas while you're working the smooth. Yep, yep. And at times it can kind of be a back and forth uh, battle uh, just until both sides are, are how they should be because finishing a sandblasted area is completely different than finishing the smooth and like you said, you can't buff on the sandblast, sandblasted areas, and if you do, you're going to remove stain or finish or something, and, and you're going to have to cut more or less start over. <laughs> and then you've got a workshop pipe for yourself. 
Yeah, I try to only keep the ones that have some sort of a fatal flaw in the in the briar or just something like that. But I've kept a few recently, and but I, for me, it's worth it just to learn from those mistakes and kind of once a year. Or so I, I like to mess up one or two so I can, you know, add to my <laughs> own pipe collection. <laughs> this one's getting nice. I better find a flaw. Okay, there it is. Good. Yep. I'll keep it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, going back to going back to pipe shows because you know, obviously we haven't had any this year and we and we all miss them. But uh, the first time we talked, I think you'd been to two or three pipe shows. Since then, you've done a couple more. Uh, are mm-hmm. you getting a chance at these to get out and walk around and see pipes and and touch pipes, or are you pretty much hunkered down at your table? Uh, the first year, for sure, I was. Uh, pretty adamant to be at my table uh, pretty much the entire show and I, I really didn't have too much opportunity to go and uh, look around and, and talk with people outside of my table um, but the second time around uh, to the shows I definitely set, uh, set, set out a, a time period for myself just to kind of leave my table and uh, leisurely walk around and, and look at other makers uh stuff people that i that i follow on instagram or social media and uh you know see everything up close in person it's surprising how uh different pipes are in person than in photos so it gives you gives you a chance to put your hands on them and and actually uh actually see what you might like about them exactly yep um, have, have you had any uh, any pipe show memories? Any surprising uh, anything surprising at pipe shows? Any customer responses at pipe shows that might have caught you off guard or or were pleasant surprises? Uh, there was a there was a guy and um, at the Columbus show uh, that when he saw me he was like I think I own one of your pipes and I didn't recognize him. I was like oh really which one? And he was like well it was listed as number one and uh, it wasn't actually my, my first pipe ever, but it was right when I decided to kind of make it my full time uh, uh, business. He bought it off of eBay uh, a few <laughs> years back. And uh, I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And he was like, Oh no, I love it. And uh, so that was kind of a, a nice experience. Even, even my older stuff, uh, at least someone's enjoying it. <laughs> So let's talk about that. Uh, your older stuff. If you were right now, here you are several years into making pipes, what would you tell your older, your younger self to do differently? Uh, you know, I, I kind of, looking back, I, like I can see a ton of mistakes. Uh, but I really wouldn't change it for anything. I think I learned the most from those really hard trying times when I was kind of questioning everything and coming home every night, just kind of like freaking out about certain finishes or certain techniques that I just couldn't figure out. Um, so, I mean, if I had to tell myself anything, it was just to keep at it, <laughs> keep at it, maybe do it a little faster, yeah. <laughs> get, get those yeah, bad ones yeah. out of the way faster. Yep. Um, from a from a pipe selling standpoint, has the uh, shutdown of pipe shows affected you one way or the other? Um, not really, but it, but also saying that, I mean, you have to keep in mind that I took a month or so off 
uh, building the shop and I'm still kind of working on it here and there. So I'm not, haven't been producing as many, um, pipes as I typically, as I normally would be. Um, so, um, I guess I can't really give a, a very accurate response, but, uh, my sales have been, have been good. Uh, the collectors, um, this, the community has been, uh, really tremendous throughout the entire, uh, pandemic, um, with or without the shows. And I think, uh, it's been good for me. Like I haven't had too much in stock. My suppliers have been buying pipes and, uh, and so, yeah, it's been a pretty typical, um, year, probably a little bit more wholesale than I typically do. Um, but that's expected. I wouldn't say it's been awful. The community has been great. Less, uh, less plane trips and less hotel rooms. Yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it, but I definitely miss the shows. I think everyone's really itching, <laughs> itching for a show at this point. So at the time we're recording this, all of your pipes on your website are sold out. So that's a that's a good sign, but that's also a bad sign. Um, what's the what's the best way for somebody to get one of your pipes? Should we just line up on the commission list and or just keep haranguing you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, commissions it, commissions are one way uh, for sure. Uh, the, it's a relatively short list uh, for commissions right now, um, but I'm definitely trying to get my suppliers stocked up. And uh, so, really, uh, follow me on Instagram or reach out and ask what I have. Uh, I have one pipe available right now. I just posted yesterday. Um, I'll, it'll be available for a week or so. And um, so, just keep an eye on my feed, and if you see something you like or let me know it'll be available until somebody buys it and then it won't be available anymore and then you can just commission the same thing if you want yeah <laughs> there something you go similar uh what other uh what what retailers are you working with um uh, i have a few pipes uh my older stuff and uh they're a little bit cheaper at uh yvonne reese uh dot com and um I also work with pipes2smoke.com. I'm not sure if they have any of my stuff in stock right now. And then um, uh, Sadix Pipes, uh, San Antonio, okay, Texas yeah. Pipes. And um, uh, they will be having some of my stuff here in about a month or so. I don't think they have any at the moment. Uh, but yeah, right now my suppliers are slightly depleted as well. Uh, so not a whole lot of my stuff available. Prices still start out around 300 and work their way up depending on the uh, doodads, whatnots, and finishes and shapes and sizes, right? Yep, pretty much. Alex, we will wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yep. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe, personally, is uh, just a billiard. I just really enjoy the shape. I think that might be the same answer from last time, but <laughs> not telling you. You'll have to go back two years and listen. Uh, Alrighty. What is your favorite tobacco? Um, lately, I've been really enjoying this tin of a uh, Peter Heinrichs uh, Dark Strong Flake. Uh, that's my current go-to. That's what I've been smoking in my shop lately. Well, you've gotten a lot more sophisticated with that answer than you did years back. Um, yeah. Um, what is your favorite drink? I, uh, my favorite drink is an old fashioned. Oh, you even, I like to keep it clean. And you, you even gotten more sophisticated with that answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? 
Um, lately, I've actually been listening to quite a bit of uh, audiobooks, like while I'm working, and uh, even like, if I'm working out or if I'm at home or something like that, I, I like to just listen to books. Wow. Last time, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, and then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? Maybe one in the last couple of years. Um. Well, it, oh, probably my favorite memory of, of uh, pipe smoking was uh, the 2019 Chicago show. Uh, going up, I, I don't know what the room is called. The Seattle Pipe Club, I think, hosted a little uh, get together party and. Uh, but I met Tom Eltang there and uh, Jeff Grasick and, and all those guys. And it was um, definitely the highlight of the trip, getting to hang out till the, uh, the early morning uh, with those guys smoking pipes and talking. And were you able to get up the next morning? I was, yes. It was, it's kind of amazing. In Chicago, you never seem to really run out of energy until you get home and then you sleep for two days straight. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the website again is alexanderpipes.com. Thanks for coming back on. Thanks for doing this. This was fun. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. And we'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yeah, dude, check out everything Alexander's doing. Check out his pipes. You know what? Maybe order yourself a pipe for Christmas. Uh, wrap it up. Put it under the tree. You know, Santa could bring you a pipe. All right. For music, um, this is uh, leaf raking and blowing season around my house. Uh, two or three, two times a week or so, I'm out there for a couple hours, you know, raking and blowing and keeping the leaves off the grass and keeping everything trimmed up. And uh, this song has absolutely nothing to do with pipe smoking, but every time this time of the year comes around, I think of it. Uh, it's Colors of the Wind, and it's from the soundtrack for uh, the Disney version of Pocahontas. Uh, and I just you know, all the colors of the leaves. Cause we do have fall foliage and fall colors here and they're blowing around. So I always think of this song for some reason. Uh, this is a performance done by the Royal Philharmonic orchestra of London. And it's just really nice and it's perfect fall weather music. So here you go. Thank you. 
Now, it is uh, quite obvious that the uh, Royal Philharmonic Orchestra can play. I mean, they've they've got some game. Uh, and I actually like that song. I like that piece better without the with without the lyrics and the singing. I, I think an instrumental that's perfect. You've got mail. In the mailbag, if you have a comment or question, you can email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. You can post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Pipes Magazine. You can send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. All that available ways to reach out to me. And uh, just like, uh, so this is all covering the first episode, or the first of two parts of uh, my visit with Julius Vez. And apparently that, uh, you know, went down fairly well because uh, David writes, uh, Vez is quite the character. I got to meet him in 1986. I was living in Detroit and as a fellow Pipe Club member who was a big collector of his, wrote a letter of introduction for me to give to him. He asked where I was staying and I told him and he said, no, you should stay here. He got us a suite in the Royal York at a fraction of the price. His shop was basically a museum for his grandfather's Meerschaum pipes. They were huge and all over the place. The place we actually the place he actually made pipes was very small. I used to smoke tobacco of his blends called Cavendish. I don't know what it was I don't know what was in it, but it smelled just like A1 steak sauce. Not an arrow, but not strictly in English. It was very different from uh, 965 and Nightcap, etc. Uh, and also, uh, Renfield writes another great interview. Not many people have pursued their craft for as long as Mr. Vez has. No doubt he loves what he does. Uh, great music again, Ella and Louie. Hard to imagine two more different voices together. Uh, you're dead on your rant about uh, voters in the U.S. So much I could say, but I won't consider it an early holiday gift. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Although sometimes extra writing fills up time. Um, and then Dino says, this helped to ease my frazzled state from watching the mind-numbing election results. Julius's story is fascinating, as is his admirable dedication to his craft. His beautiful pipes made of classically aged old briar are simply stunning. And speaking of classics, Ella and Louie, this is from one of uh, the favorites in my LP collection. And they're backed by a stellar group of musicians. Oscar Peterson on piano, Herb Ellis on guitar, Ray Brown on bass, and Buddy Rich on drums. Great choice, Brian. <laughs> Thanks for an always entertaining show, Dino. I didn't know Buddy Rich was playing drums on that. Uh, I actually saw him at Disneyland when uh, he and his orchestra used to come through. Uh, Casey Ghostwrites, Pipe Parts was interesting as usual. Julius Vez is an amazing carver. If you haven't gotten one of his pipes, you are in for a treat when you do. I don't know whether I believe the stuff about Deadroot Briar, but he certainly does. His raindrop shape is to die for. The music was simply sublime. I've never heard that tune before, but it is amazing. But what else could Satchmo and Ella produce? Uh, so this is a rare time where we get Dino and Casey Ghost agreeing on the music and both loving it. So I just want everybody to note that. Uh, and then uh, Dan also says, uh, I forgot about the election results. I found them mainly mind-numbing. Couldn't believe them then and can't believe them now. 
Uh, and then Ira, the writing rabbi, says, Great show. I've been kind of quiet on comments, but this really deserves some praise, and I'm looking forward to hearing the rest next week. Uh, I visited the Vez shop in Toronto close to 40 years ago and loved the experience. The music was top shelf also. Thank you. Good. So that music was a hit. Uh, and then uh, Trout Time says, excellent. I love the history of these great old makers. I have one of his pipes, and I think it is as good as he thinks it is. Interviews like this is why I tune in. Can't wait for part two. Love the rant and completely agree, Trout Times. Good. Uh, so, and, and again, I got, an, I got numerous other messages from people, and that's just regarding part one of the two. By the time this show comes out, you will have heard part two. However, this show is being recorded a full week ahead of it because, well, I screwed up and we're going to talk about that in the rant some. Uh, but I'm hoping also to be able to get up and uh, get to, uh, you know, get up there and maybe once the world gets back to normal, get up there and sit down and record face to face with Julius. Uh, news for me on the news front. So, you know, I'm not doing the travel planning anymore. Uh, but if you do have any travel-related questions, please let me know. Uh, just email me, and I'll help you out the best I can, give you whatever advice I can. Uh, I'm working on a couple other ideas, but uh, for the, uh, for the uh, holiday season here, by the time this show comes out, there will be pictures of me on uh, Facebook and Instagram. I am, uh, I'm back working for the Walt Disney Company. Yeah. Big major job, too. I'm a uh, part-time seasonal associate for the local Disney store. And the main reason I did it was because, one, I wanted to get out of the house and do something and be around people instead of just being sitting here in the uh, rut. And uh, two, you know, it's a fun atmosphere to be out in the mall at Christmas. And I don't know how much I'll work. I don't know what I'll be doing exactly, but I'm sure I'll be folding T-shirts, stacking plush animals and, you know, doing whatever I can to help make the store look pretty and uh, make people happy. So I'll be hanging out in the uh, local mall, uh, you know, I don't know, three, four days a week doing that, four or five days a week. Don't really know, but guarantee you it'll be a change for me. I'll be tired. <laughs> And I'll really look forward to, uh, you know, getting off my feet and getting my pipe and you know, sitting down and relaxing after that and maybe getting a good cup of coffee. And yeah, so it's been a while since I've been on my feet for you know, a day's work on uh, in retail like that, especially on concrete floors. All right. In uh, just a moment, rant time is coming up. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Thank you. 
All right, everybody, are you ready for this? Get ready, sit down, hold on, here it comes. Um, I am not a perfect person. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Okay, everybody, get a you know, gra- get a grasp of it. Hold, you know, get some air, breathe. Yes, I am not a perfect person. <laughs> I am far from a perfect person. I have aches, pains, flaws, weaknesses, and I am not a perfect person. But here's what here's what brought this on. And uh, I can blame the election and I can blame the COVID-19 pandemic for this. But here's what brought this on. So Kevin and I chat about once a week about what's going on with the show and things coming up. And a couple weeks ago, he told me uh, that he's going to be traveling and that I needed to do two shows. Uh, you know, the, I needed to do one show and then the week ahead show and get two out at once. Well, I did that last week. The problem is, uh, as you're hearing this, this is the week that he was traveling. So that's why the two shows with Julius Vez were edited and put out uh, you know, on uh on on november 3rd and then the november 17th show is being done on november 10th and i thought i had until november 18th so that screwed up the opportunity for me to hang out with chris who was traveling through charlotte and sit and have a pipe with him because i screwed the pooch on thinking that it was the i needed to have this show done on the 18th and not the 17th or not on the 10th and you know either way here's what happened i got all screwed up and I've got one regular thing going on each week. I've got the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I screwed up the production schedule for it. Not once, but two weeks in a row. So, I know, I know, I'm not a perfect person, but apparently uh, I need to make notes of stuff. And it doesn't help having it in a text because or a Facebook message or an email because I need to remind myself to go back and check on those on a regular basis, especially now that I don't have the travel stuff going on and I really don't have a reason to check email on a daily basis. So there you go. I know. All right, everybody, you're okay with it. I am not a perfect person and there's always room to improve, always things to do better. Or try to be better, at least. Well, there you go. All right. uh, Reminder, please keep sharing the Pipes Magazine radio show with all the uh, Zoom groups you're in, your pipe clubs, the pipe groups on Facebook. Keep sharing it and let the people know that you're listening to it and help them learn how to listen to a podcast. And uh, let them know that all 420-plus episodes are available for listening anytime they want by laptop, desktop, or mobile device, all sitting right there. In fact, you can go back and listen to them. Uh, One of our regular listeners was driving up the East Coast for two days and said he downloaded enough to get from Georgia to Maine. So I hope he didn't listen to them all the way, the whole way. I'd be, yeah, anyway. Thank you very much to Alexander Hasty for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in and until next time. the clouds when we're together just 
Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives.